Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I came across a story of a man by the name of Ali Hafed. Now, I want to take you back just in a quick journey throughout his life. Ali was a very wealthy man. He owned a huge farm that was full of gardens and uh, orchards, uh, grain fields. And uh, all, he was a very wealthy man and a very content man at that. But one day he entertained a guest that started to talk to him about diamonds and started to let him know that if you owned a diamond field, you would be super wealthy. How many of you guys know that night he went to bed a poor man because he was very discontent with what he had? So he gets up and he starts on this newfound journey to pursue diamonds in the hopes of finding a diamond mine. So he sells his farm. Uh, he travels all over Africa and Europe hoping to find diamonds. Well, in the process, he ends up going broke and then ends up feeling broke internally, and he commits suicide as he threw himself into a tidal wave in Barcelona. Well, the man who ended up purchasing Ali's farm was taking his camel uh, on a stroll through the garden to get something to drink, and he noticed on the ground a little bit of light coming from this rock. It was a black rock with a little chip out of it, and out of it came the hues of color, every color in the rainbow. Turns out that that rock was not a rock at all. That rock was a diamond. And furthermore, that that farm that Ali sold was really the largest diamond field in all of history called the Golconda Diamond Mine. How many of you guys know that that's a tragic story? Ollie went on search for everything but never thought to dig right in his own soil. He went out in this hopes and pursuit of diamonds, not realizing that it was right under his nose the whole time. Now, that's tough because what you don't know can cost you. But I think what's even tougher than that is knowing you have something so precious and forgetting about it. Like, anybody ever have those forgetful days where you just... It's just one of those days. Not really stressed, not really much going on. You just start to forget a lot. Anybody have those moments? Well, I had one of those days uh, last week. And I went to meet my pastor friend for lunch. And I showed up at 1130 because that's the time we were supposed to meet. Looking at my watch, it's 1135, 1140. So I'm like, let me give this brother a call, right? And so, but I said, before I do that, let me open up my calendar and just double check. And sure enough, I was not meeting him on the 3rd, but on the 4th. How many of you guys know that cost me some time? So then Jackie calls me. She said, hey, can you pick up the girls on your way home? It's our family fun day. Pick up the girls from school, and we're going to go and have a great day. So I thought, yep, not a problem. Pick up the girls from school, and I tell them, listen, we're going to go to In-N-Out, and we're going to grab some Lemon Ups. You guys know what Lemon Ups are? It's where you combine pink lemonade and 7-Up. It's awesome. And so we get there, and we get out of the car, and I start to pat my pants. And I, no. Forgot my wallet. <laughs> Pastor Chris is prophesying today. Forgot my wallet. And my girls are like, no, Dad, you didn't forget your wallet. How many of you guys know that moment it cost us some in and out and some crying in the car? <laughs> and then there's just moments where, where we forget, like Jackie forgot I was parked next to her one time. You guys remember that story? And she proceeded to pull out of the driveway, denting and scratching the whole left side of my vehicle. 
How many of you guys know that cost me some money? And, and, and it is not fun to forget and have to pay a price. But in, as crazy as all that is, there's one thing that if you and I forget, it will cost us a whole lot more than diamonds. There's one thing that you and I cannot afford to forget or be limited on. And it's, it's very simple truth. It's we cannot afford to lose or forget our love for God. We just can't. It may sound so simple, but this is, it's really so profound because the consequences to forgetting or, or losing sight or losing a fervor, passionate love for God has great consequences. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. That when our love for God is limited, our light to the world diminishes. All of a sudden, our priorities start to get a little bit darkened. Our heart and compassion for people start to decline a little bit. All of a sudden, our purpose, we begin to lose sight of, of purpose, or we continue in the purpose that God has called us to, but it, it turns out to be very mechanical and non-relational with him. We kind of find ourselves going through the motions. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's cool. I mean, I don't care if my light goes out to the world just as long as it doesn't go out inside, but that's the whole point. It's, our light begins to diminish to the world. Why? Because the light starts to diminish from the inside of our heart. And I, I can't think of a better illustration than this, than the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Before we turn there, let me give you some context. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, is, is, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as God is giving him revelation knowledge. And as he's pinning this down, it's, it's really important that you understand a little bit about John. John was one that identified himself as being the one in whom Jesus loves. He's like, I'm the one that he loves. Like, I'm the favorite. He loved basking in the love of God. He, he, he was so in love with the Lord. And so I, I could imagine John penning down this letter had to strike him at the very core of his heart. Because what we're about to see, I think, for John was very jolting and concerning. And we were going to start in Revelation chapter 2. And, and, it, and it says this, Jesus speaking. He says, I know all the things that you do. Now, it's important to know he's speaking to the church in Ephesus. He said, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have, potential, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Now, now, when I just look at this as a human being, I look and I'm like, that looks like a pretty awesome church. That looks like a church that is killing it. Like, killing it means really doing really good. I mean, look at hard work, patient endurance. Don't tolerate evil people, right? They examine the claims, meaning they know the scriptures. They patiently suffer and they don't. Wait, I mean, that, that sounds awesome. I'd love to be a church like that. But man looks to the outer appearance and the Lord looks to the heart. And so the passage continues, and this is where I think John was probably just struck right to the core of his being. He says, but I have this complaint against you, the Lord says. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Remember, everybody say remember. remember. Therefore, where you have fallen... Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. 
If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is like, don't do that. You're going in the wrong direction. You're doing all the right things, but you've missed the whole point. The Lord is declaring in this moment that a church that loses its love loses its light. And what's so incredible to me as I, as I was looking at this passage this week, it, it struck me that, man, you can serve, you can sacrifice, you can even suffer and not love God. I'm like, that's scary. Because I think a lot of those things, uh, even in the church, we can find security. Well, look what I'm doing. Look how hard I'm working. And God's like, yeah, but I'm concerned about what's happening inside of you. Like, like all of their separation from, you know, trying to behave themselves and all of their busyness and all of their hard work and all of their sacrifice, they forgot the main most important ingredient, and that was adoration. They forgot just to stop and, and hear that, come let us adore him. Like they, they just forgot the love. They forgot what this whole thing was about. A church that loses their love, loses their light. Now, I, I, to be honest with you, I think that it kind of happens gradually. I think it kind of happens uh, not just intentionally, but, but it's this gradual erosion. And I think it's important for you and I to understand this. If you're taking notes, jot this down, that, that God is more concerned about our love relationship with him than what we do for him. What we do for him is so important, but he's more concerned about our love relationship with him. And so as this kind of gradually began to erode, uh, one of the things that I've realized is that spiritual decay often starts with forgetting. It often starts with forgetting. Now, the encouraging part is the Lord is not saying, hey, you're done, it's over. He was saying, no, remember, return, repent. God wasn't saying it was over for them. He was just saying, no, 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 it's not over. Just remember, remember. You know, you know I think that Christmas has the potential, as ironic as this sounds, to really cause us to forget what this is all about. I, I, I mean, let, let me just show you what this looks like with all of the, the shopping and the, the lights. I love all this stuff, by the way. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Come on, family. Family can be a little difficult. Heartbroke. Some of us are dealing with heartbreak this Christmas. And so just find ourselves trying to fight our way through. We just got insanity because it's busy and crazy. We got Christmas parties. Shout out to debt um, for Christmas presents. And then surrounded by all of this, we have a little nativity right in the middle. And it's so easy for us to forget the reality of this season. How incredible that first Christmas was and how that changes our life forever. But at the very same time, I think Christmas also has the greatest potential to cause us to remember. I, I mean, it's the time of year that, that really leans in to what life is all about. I mean, it's the time of year where, I mean, everywhere is declared this reality of what took place the first Christmas, the reality of who God is, the reality of his attributes, his character. Christmas screams, God is good, God is faithful. 
And Christmas screams one attribute I want to lean into today that I believe as we lean into this attribute of God, this aspect of God's character, it can fuel our heart once again. It can start to fill our heart with a love again. Uh, Maybe that's grown a little bit cold. Maybe that's diminished a little bit. And and give us a, a sense of fervency. Give us that spark that maybe we once used to have that's gone away. Now, if you're here today and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and we're so glad you're here today. And if that's you today, maybe you don't know what it's like to be in love with God. You don't know what it's like for God to love you. God has loved you in a lot of ways already. You probably just don't realize it. But I want you to lean in today because this attribute may change your perspective on how you view God. Now, now maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but your love has grown a little bit dim. Like you're not in love passionately with him like you used to be. Like you can go back, even as I'm saying it, to some of those moments where you're like, man, I just, I miss those times. I'm praying that God stirs and fuels your heart once again in a fresh way. And maybe you're here today and you are on fire. Well, I'm just, pray- I'm just praying. I just fan that flame a little bit today. But what made the first Christmas great and what can make Christmas great once again is if you and I realize this great attribute of God, attribute of God that Christmas screams. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Christmas screams that God is a giver, not a gaffler. Now, gaffle is a slang term that we used to use growing up, and, and it means to, to take from somebody. Like we would say, man, we're going to gaffle that kid's lunch money. That's what we would say things like that. Or, or, man, that guy gaffled me. It was somebody that took something. And I, I think many times we have a distorted image of God uh, via maybe some circumstances that we have gone through, maybe some difficult times that we've experienced, and we feel like God is a taker. But that could not be further from the truth. You see, what made Christmas great that first Christmas and can make Christmas great again, no matter uh, what emotional state you're in, no matter what circumstances you are going through, is this reality that God is a giver, not a taker. See, what was so awesome about that first Christmas is what God got to do. And I think it's found in a passage that, like Ali, it's a passage that's full of, of, of so much riches, and beauty, but because it's so familiar, because it's right under our feet so many times, we never take a moment to dig into this great passage that Christmas declares, and it's John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. What did God get to do that first Christmas? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal Life, And then it goes on in verse 17 to say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. In other words, God didn't come to, to, stay, to take away or to be this cosmic killjoy. He came to give life and life more abundantly. And that's just what Christmas is about. God love and he gave. The, the cross equals love. He loved and he gave. And that's just what love does. Love gives. Love gives. You know, as as you start to think about this reality of love, giving is at the heart of love. Therefore, giving is the heart of God because God is love. 
It's just who he is. God is not trying to rob you. God is not trying to gaffle you. He's not trying to take from you. God wants to give to you. Now, in this ancient culture, there was a lot of myths and fables around false gods, ideologies, and philosophies, that there were gods that created humans to be slaves to them. In other words, these gods were gafflers. They weren't givers. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, you have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the God of all creation. You have the one true living God, the God of the Bible that creates everything with great precision and perfection and beauty. And what does he do? He says, take it. Enjoy it. Rule it. Have dominion over it. Like God say, man, I want, you to, I want you to take all of this that I created. Enjoy it. I'm not trying to take. I want to give. It's just who God is. God has been doing this since the beginning. God has been giving since the beginning. In fact, in the book of James, says it like this. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And I believe that a lot of people are deceived about God. Like they think God wants to gaffle them. In reality, God wants to give to them. And I think even when Jesus first came on the scene, people thought that Jesus was going to come and just take stuff. Like, that's what the Messiah is supposed to do. The Messiah is just going to come and, and take back what belongs to Israel as they were under the oppression of the Romans. That he was going to come and just take back authority, take a political seat. And Jesus is like, man, it's so much bigger than that. And I've come to take some things. I've come to redeem some things. I've come to crush the devil's head. I've come to snatch the keys of hell, death, and the grave. I've come to do those things. But how did he do it? He gave. That was his strategy. How am I going to take back? How am I going to destroy and crush sin and death and crush the enemy's head? He gave his life. What a a weird strategy for, right? None of us would say, hey, this is the greatest way to take back all this stuff. I mean, obviously it all belonged to him, but... But he came back and destroyed these things so that you and I could have life. And his strategy was giving. And it says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting sand. So not only is God a giver, but he doesn't change in that. It's who he is. God is love. Giving is the language of love. And God continues To give, he does not change, but the key passage or the key word in this verse is the word every. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Like Ali, I think there's so many gifts under our feet that we just don't even realize. We don't even think about the air that we breathe, which is a gift. (laughs) Unless you're smoked out as a result of a fire, you start to appreciate breath a little bit more, right? I mean, just think about the wind blowing through the trees, food on the table, like every good and gift you could possibly think of comes from him. Like when you begin to think about God in that light, through that lens, I promise it'll change the way you feel about him. I promise it'll change the way you think about him. That God is a giver, not a gaffler. And even some of God's gifts, they come in in, in strange and mysterious ways, like correction. (laughs) How many of you guys know that one of God's greatest gifts is correction? 
Everybody, yeah, you're all amen and right, but it's like, oh, Lord, I don't, we don't like to be corrected. But it's one of God's greatest gifts. This last week, I was at a, uh, a conference uh, for young adults, and uh, a friend of mine pastors about 1,200 young adults in uh, San Jose. And we're at this conference, and, and he's young. He's in his 20s, and just incredible. Him and his wife are just doing such a great job down there. And we were in worship, and I saw him on his knees just crying out, come, Holy Spirit, just Holy Spirit, Mo, right? I mean, he was just going for it. And I felt the Lord whisper to me this. Can I be vulnerable with you for a minute? Is that okay? Uh, can we be real in church? All right, let's do this. Um, so I, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, what happened to you recently? That's who you are. And you've been so bogged down with details and stuff and and you may say, like, that's not fun to be corrected by God. Oh, it's the most beautiful thing in the world because he's right. Because God knows oh, I'm at my best when I'm on my face. God knows that I am my best when my heart is, is passionately in love with him. In that place, all things, even though things may be crazy, not going right, details are missed, it doesn't even matter. Because in that place, there is fullness of joy. So even in God's correction, he's saying, I want to give you life. I want to give you hope. That's just who he is. Second thing is, I want you to jot down is this, is that God's giving is constant. I love this passage in Lamentations chapter 3. It says this, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And if the love of the Lord never ceases and giving is the language of love, then neither does his giving. In fact, he goes on to say that his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Like, we need to stop and just take a praise break right there and thank the Lord. That Listen, his kindness, yeah, you can clap. That's what it means, praise break. How many are grateful that, listen, when you blew it yesterday, God said, there's, there's something new for you today. My mercies, my kindness towards you. When you're in need, I'm there for you. Listen, it, I can make things brand new. New Every new, every sunrise is a promise that God says, listen, I told you, it's, they're new. Every time that sun is rising again, he says, my kindness is still there for you. My grace is still sufficient for you. Listen, God makes all things new. And every day, he says, my mercies, they're new every morning. And it's like the writer of Lamentations. I, I don't even, we don't know who he is. We don't know if it's Jeremiah. We don't, we don't know if it's somebody else. Most scholars believe it's Jeremiah, but it's almost like, as he's pinning this down, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It's almost like he just erupts. Great is your faithfulness. All of a sudden, as he begins to reflect on the goodness of God, that God is a, he's a giver, not a gaffler. And the kindness that's extended, all of a sudden, gratitude starts to fill his heart. Love begins to permeate every aspect and a declaration. Great is your faithfulness comes about. It's important to remember that God is not just consistent, that God's giving is constant. You know, for Mother's Day, instead of buying Jackie flowers a couple years ago, I did buy her a flower, but it was a different kind. Uh, it, it was an orchid. Now, what was interesting about orchids is, many of you guys may not know, but they can live up to 100 years certain species. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And I wanted to give a gift that kept on giving, right? Because roses are cool, love roses, 
little spring flowers, bouquet, awesome. But you put them in the vase, and they last about a week. If you put the little powder in, maybe a week and a couple days. <laughs> but I, I wanted to give, some, give her something that really reflected the heart of a mom, because the heart of a mom is constantly giving in every season. Every season, a mother is in bloom. Just constantly giving. And, and so I picked the orchid because it was, it, it just feel like it, it matched that in every season the orchid produces it. It, it. it brings forth flowers year after year after year. And it was like God has been giving since the beginning, but then all of a sudden Christmas comes and God's like, I'm about to bring out the best gift. I'm about to take generosity to a whole nother level. I'm about to, like the world is about to be changed forever as a result. Of this gift. The biggest one he'd ever give. I started to think two years ago, Jackie came to me. She said, hey, I think God wants us to give away our car. I was like, what? Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> we were almost done. We had about $1,000 left on, on the payment or $1,200 left, and then we, it was paid off. And I was like, babe, are, are you serious? And, and I know that my wife hears from the Lord, and it was resonating with me. And it was, it was super scary at first. But then it got super exciting. Like, man, this is the biggest thing we've ever given away. This is going to be crazy. Like, God, what are you going to do with this? How is this going to? And we were just, just blown away with anticipation, so excited to give it away. It was, it was the biggest thing. It was so exciting. It was as if that first Christmas, like the father just exuding with joy, like about to give his greatest gift that he said, man, let, let all the heavenly hosts like rejoice and declare this moment. And I love the fact that he brought the greatest news of the greatest gift of all time to some lowly shepherds that the world said didn't deserve news or a gift like that. And they saw heavens open, a host of heaven's armies declaring and rejoicing about this incredible gift that God would give us, this reality of God with us. A Savior is born. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. God, just heaven is rejoicing. Everybody's so pumped, and the shepherds are just like, what's going on? This is crazy. To a group of people that the world said didn't deserve it, God said, oh, my generosity. I mean, and his heart for people, it's just beyond what words can explain. And the gift wasn't going to stop with the Savior being born. You guys know the story. The Savior would later continue with that generosity and give his life so that it wouldn't simply be God with us, but now Christ in us, the hope of glory. And with Christ in us, the, that is the gift that, that keeps on giving both now throughout all eternity. Christ in us, we have everything we need for life and for godliness because of the greatest gift that came at the greatest price. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. A gift that never disappoints, a gift that never fades, a gift that will never leave you thirsty, a gift that you won't open and have to go return it, a gift that keeps on giving, yet a gift that can be forgotten. It can be forgotten. And so I started to think, man, how in the world... 
do we remember this on Monday? In the midst of all the craziness over the next couple of weeks. And I just felt like the answer to remembering. See, one of the, the ways that they would remember in ancient Israel is that you guys have heard me say this before. They, they wouldn't just simply recall the thought. They would go back and, and relive the event. They would go back to the moment like, let, let's, let's think deeply about this. Let's, man, let, let's, let's really dive in to the reality and how it affects every aspect of our life. And so I thought, man, a great way for us to remember the reality that God is a giver. And I think for many of us, listen, if you're in a tough time right now, this is so big for you because it's in those moments that we feel like God is taking from us. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a fractured, broken world because of sin. That's why Jesus was constantly, that's why this gift wasn't just about this life. It was about eternity because God knew we were going to have trouble here. But yet in the midst of all that trouble, God is still able to provide and be sufficient with a joy unexplainable, with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Like God still wants to give to us in the midst of all the brokenness. So it's not just a gift for now, but also a gift for eternity. But it's not just a gift for eternity. It's also a gift for now. For now. And so, so how, how, do we, how do we remember this gift? How do we go back and, and, and remember this reality of God's goodness, that God is a giver, not a gaffler? And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Is that we need to live a life of giving over receiving. It's like, let's put ourselves in that place that you and I begin to live a life. And I don't know if anybody's hot in here. Can we turn off the heat? I'm dying up here. <laughs> live a life of giving over receiving. Like, what better, what, what better way to remember than to actually emulate the heart of, of our king? Now, now, this takes a little bit of discovery because it violates everything that's natural to us. Like, some of you may even be sitting here like, man, this is a message about other people. Man, I wanted something for me. Like, no, it is a message for you. I promise you, is I'm going to explain it to you right now. See, it violates everything that's natural in the inside of us because some of us are in a tough spot. We're like, I don't want to give. I'm in a tough spot. Someone give to me. That's not a great strategy. Remember, when he was going to save the world, what was his strategy? Not let me just take and, no, let me give. And it brought, a, it brought about the greatest victory of all humanity. But it takes a little bit of discovery because it violates everything on the inside of us that we want to believe is true or natural. It's just not natural to live a life of giving over receiving. As much as we would say, especially as church folks, that's right. I don't live that, but it's right. I really want to receive more than I want to give. And, and some of us love the idea of it, right? We, we love the idea of I'm going to be a giver over a receiver. I'm going to be a servant. And then somebody treats you like one. And you're like, what? <laughs> Treat me. What do you think I am, a servant? Just, aren't your maid? Like, man, really? So everybody wants those things until it's like the reality of them kind of strike. So it, it, it has to, to be a discovery process. Like you got to actually step in faith to live a life like this. you got to step out. And, and I love what Jesus says in the book of Acts, Paul speaking. Paul says, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. But you should, everybody say it, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give 
than receive. Could you imagine this Christmas over the next few weeks that if, if we just made a, a, a shift and said, man, I want to be so in love with God. Could you imagine being so full of the love of God that it just moves you towards the broken? It just moves you towards people that, that desperately need this wonderful gift that keeps on giving. Could you imagine if we just got outside of us and we really began to demonstrate God's kindness through our hands and our feet? Could you imagine what Christmas would be like if it became a Christmas of compassion rather than self-centeredness? What could it look like? And, and this is the beauty. You say, well, what's in it for me? Like, you think God left you out? You think God would have a strategy that would take from you and not give to you? No, notice he doesn't say, hey, it's morally to give. You should do that. Matter of fact, I want you to give. You should do that. It's the right thing to do. You should do that. That's what all good people do. You should do that. No, no, no. He says it is more blessed to give than receive. You know the word blessed, you know what it means? It means to enhance. It means to enrich. It means to add to one's life. Greatness. So what is God saying? He's saying, you'll start, your life will be enriched, will be enhanced, and more life will come your way as you begin to live a life of giving over receiving. And let me, let me share a story with you that hopefully will build your faith. Recently, uh, I have a friend of mine. I'm not going to say uh, his name or the name of the church or the area just because all of this is still kind of in motion and I don't want to blow the whistle. But uh, we've been praying. They, they've been uh, meeting at a particular location. Uh, they're a church plant, recently planted a church. And their location is getting ready to, to expire. They're not going to be able to meet there anymore. And, and we've been praying that they'd be able to get into a school. And long story short, in this particular city, no churches have been able to crack the code of the district. Like, you can get in there for a service or two, but no long-term contracts. Nobody can get into this city. And so we've just been praying, and we've been standing and contending. And I'm texting them every week, any word, any word, any word. Um, because they found a, a, a bit of an open door, and it looked like there was some possibility and some potential that they might be able to get into the best school. And so we've just been praying and praying and praying. And I'm texting them every single week, hey, what's up? Any word, any word? No, 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 keep contending, keep praying. So, so the Lord tells me to write a check. The Lord tells me, put your money where your faith is. And he tells me to write a check. And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm, I'm, it wasn't a big check. It was just a check. And the Lord said, I want you to write a check to give to them to celebrate with their team when the promise comes through. So I wrote him a check. I said, listen, this is what you're going to use to celebrate with your team when God opens this door. The next day. Can somebody hit this guy's keys for me? Be awesome. He's playing his heart out. Love our sound team. He is, he sends me an email the next day. And it says, sir, we no longer want to delay this process. But we want to invite you to come into the school this month as we're working on your long-term contract. Come on. Let me tell you why that's so encouraging. Let me, let me tell you why I tell you that story. It's because... Man, forget the money. Do you know how much that built my faith? That when he called me, I was about, I almost hit my head. Because I knew God was going to come through. 
But I thought, imagine if I didn't, if I didn't give. It would have been awesome still, but that step of faith and me stepping out to trust God, that built my faith. I was enriched. I was enhanced. God brought more life to me as I was investing in the heart and the life of somebody else. That it is so better, so much more blessed to give than receive. And I want you to, to be encouraged, Fountain Church, because you guys are making a huge difference here. Many of you guys serving on the dream team. Many of you guys giving away your life. You know, one thing we, we tell our, our, our greeters, like it's not holding a sign that changes anybody's life. It's someone who's in love with God, who desperately loves people, that makes an impact on people as they're coming through our doors. Like people know when it's not real. People know if you're just holding a sign like, hey, welcome home, welcome home. But as they're out there in love with God and loving people, as they look at people and I say, welcome home. So glad you're here. It makes an impact. That's what changes the game. Not the work, but the fact that they're in love with God. That's producing a work and a heart for people that says, welcome home. Welcome home. So listen, you're making an impact on people's lives. Your generosity being an extension of God's hands and his feet because that's how God gives many times is through his church. So check out Pam's story just for a moment. Hi, my name is Pam and really my life before Fountain was just really, um, I felt like it was really dry and and <clears throat> kind of like a mess. I, I would tell my husband that I was like on life support. Like I, I didn't want to, um, not that I was turning away from Jesus, because I know that he had done a lot of things in my life, but it was to the point where I was just becoming isolated, and I know that that's what the enemy wanted me to be. When I first got married, I didn't know I was going to make it to my first year of marriage. I was, um, I was really, we were really struggling. There was a lot of things that we didn't deal before marriage. I felt spiritually dead and and almost physically dead too. It was just like I was a walking zombie in my life. And I felt like, God, you know, my prayer was like, I just wanna be home. I wanna be at the place in my life where, I just wanna be home. I wanna, I wanna feel what I, I used to feel for you. And, and that morning when we went to visit the fountain, and I was, I, I was, I was praying, God, I, 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 when I walk into a church, I want to feel like I'm home. I want to feel that warmth. I want to feel that, that uh, in Spanish is the calorcito. You know, I want to feel that. And when I came to Fountain, and you know, when when they're saying good morning, and the greeting is like welcome home, and it just clicked. That was, I can definitely say that was a, the turning point where I was like, God, how much do you, how much you love me that you're showing me clearly what I've been praying for. And now, I mean, I love being under the next steps tent. Um, I love leading, co-leading a small group with my husband and building those relationships that really have been so solid in my life. And 
I was in life support and now I feel like I'm thriving and and I'm not I know that I'm not there yet but it's it's like I just want more so um, I'm just I'm so glad that Jesus found me and um, brought me back home So let me just give you three practical things that I want you to leave you with today. The first one is this, is adoration. Can I just encourage you this week? What stirs your affections for Jesus? Do that again. Maybe you need to, maybe for some of you guys, you need to take a walk and just look up at be amazed at creation. Maybe for some of you, you need to push play on that on your podcast or your worship CD that you just, man, I just need to go, I just need to get my affections stirred again for the one who loves me and has given everything for me. The second thing, because remember, he says return. He says, you don't love me or others the way you did at first, so go back to the things you did before. Adoration, I know, was one of those, but also, man, compassion. Like, where's your heart for people? And so next, next week, uh, we're doing an At The Movies Christmas edition. It's going to be a great time to invite uh, a first-time guest. We're going to be doing It's A Wonderful Life. So we're going to take it way back. Uh, and it's going to be such a special time, but a great day to invite somebody to church. That what? That they could receive a gift, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, we have kindness cards that we've given you um, on your seats and invites. Like, use that. We were at Jamba Juice this last week. And I just bought the guy a Jamba Juice behind us. Actually, my daughter did. It was her gift card. And, and he was just like, man, thank you so much. But it, it didn't have as much of an impact on him than it did the person working. She's like, man, people just aren't like that anymore. Like, you just don't see that happening. Just one act of kindness can change the game in somebody's life. It's so foreign today. It makes it easy. Because everybody's like, you bought him something? Like, wow. And so, listen, an invite, some, rent, some acts of kindness that you can be an extension of his hands and his feet as we go and remember the goodness of God and all he's given us that we would go into the world and give to them. Let me pray for you.